what we're going to talk about today is evangelism. Something everybody is excited to engage in. Um, now, I don't know about you, but I am not a, what we think of as a natural evangelist. Uh, and what I mean by that is I'm just not wired up so much that I would just like walk into a place and just see a stranger and just go up and say, hey, what's your spiritual journey? Where are you at with God? Uh, what do you know about Jesus? Or this one was always uh, interesting. She used all the time, and it's kind of a shocking one. You know, if you died today, where would you spend eternity? I mean, it, it does make us think, where would we spend eternity? I, I'm not really wired up to do that. Um, some of you here are, and I salute that. I'm not making fun of it. I salute that. Say, great job and way to go. Also, I was just saying that. I just saw Larry Shelp. I went, Larry, Larry said this, so this is a public service announcement in the middle of this preaching, that he felt like the Lord was saying somebody had a problem with their right foot not healing, and so at the end of service, we'll have altar ministry going on. Come on up and get prayer for that if, you have, if you're struggling with, with pain in your right foot. I struggle with pain in my left foot, so I think maybe he missed it, and it's left foot, so I'm receiving that for, for left foot. So for, for any of your feet, come on up and get prayer afterwards. So, so. I'm not a natural evangelism, meaning I just don't typically go and engage strangers. I have on occasion where I really felt like the Lord wanted me to. And um, I'm going to suspicion that many of you here probably would say I'm not a natural evangelist of just go up out on the streets or out wherever and engage people with, with the gospel. And so we're going to talk about that. But I want to, want to define what is an evangelist? What is evangelism? You know, that kind of churchy terms. And if you went to a Bible dictionary, it simply means the bringer of good news the bringer of good news. All of us will bring good news about things that we like. It uh, doesn't matter if it's a laundry detergent or a restaurant or a new movie you've seen, you'll, you'll be a bringer of that good news about that topic. We got the great news, the greatest news ever in the history of the universe, and that's Jesus, and so we're bringers as evangelists and evangelism is being bringers of good news. So I want to encourage us as we launch this if I'm figuring that you might not be um, a natural evangelist that engages people just cold turkey kind of thing, just cold, I want to ask you a question. If we can, you can just answer it in your own head, in your own heart, don't have to raise your hand, but, but if, if we could come up with a way to begin the evangelism journey, to begin learning how to be a bringer of the good news in a way that was not uncomfortable, in a way that you didn't feel like you had to be an extroverted public speaker with a Bible degree, would you be interested? And I would say most of you here would say, yeah, I mean, if it, again, let me be clear, Tracy, if you're if, if in a way that wouldn't make me uncomfortable and, and in a way that I wouldn't feel like I had to all of a sudden become an extroverted public speaker with a Bible degree, yes, I would be interested. Well, we're going we're gonna to look at that today. I was uh, told about a book a couple of years ago, and and uh, had some great points. It was called The Sacrament of Evangelism. And I, I wanted to talk about that. And I actually decided to name this message after that book, The Sacrament of Evangelism. Now, there's another word, sacrament. Okay, we've already defined evangelism. Now we've got sacrament. You're saying, oh, this is a lot of work today. You know, I'm having to learn some stuff. And most of the time people say, hey, I think we ought to stay away from churchy terms when we preach or teach or whatever. And for the most part, I agree with that. Why make things complicated? But everything, I don't care if it's sports or academics or medical or, or construction or whatever, there, everything has a certain amount of lingo or language to it that it's okay to learn. So, 
So a sacrament. What is a sacrament? Um, in Christianity, a sacrament is defined as a religious activity or a ritual regarded as imparting divine grace. Now, you may say, well, I don't remember reading that word sacrament in the Bible, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. And in each sacrament, there's this, this imparting of God, this enabling, this enabling presence of God is there. And so his presence is in the sacrament. And so we'll, we'll define that a little more. In the church world, there's all kinds of things that are considered sacraments. Some people would consider something that we would call a sacrament, not a sacrament. It'd be, it'd be on a different level. But there's all kinds of things that God instructs us to do in Scripture, many of which are not a matter of whether you go to heaven or hell, but they're things that Jesus taught, the Word of God teaches, we're encouraged to do, and so we should do it. We should do it. I mean, I, I just don't understand the Word of God telling us to do something, encouraging us to do something, Jesus modeling something for us, and us just saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't get that. So I want to encourage you, anytime there's a, a sacrament, it's something the Scripture teaches us to do that God enables. And in fact, the more I thought about this, almost every spiritual activity, in a sense, is a sacrament because God's present in any activity that we do that's sanctioned by God's Word. And so on this idea of the, the sacrament of evangelism, I want to... Look at Romans 1.16. Because that was a weird phrase to me when I saw the title of the book, Sacrament of Evangelism, because I thought, okay, so God's present in this act. But then I look at, at Romans 1.16, and it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. Did you see that? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God at work. God's enabling something that we're doing. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. So what ends up happening is, is we are engaging in, in evangelism, which means to, to witness or to share or talk about Jesus and the good news of Jesus. And when we do, God says his power is present. He's actually at work in that. Now, I didn't say you'll feel it. I didn't say that you'll feel like, man, I was one with God when I was sharing Jesus with somebody. But that, that act of sharing the good news of Jesus actually has an empowerment by God. One of the examples I often use when I talk about this is I had a buddy that I worked with years ago. We were all about 20-some years old, and he was getting married. And um, his neighbor lady knew he was getting married, and so the neighbor lady would say to him, now, now get this, this is not really a presentation of the gospel, but it was somebody planting a seed that the Holy Spirit could use. And here's the interesting thing. We think we have to be a Bible scholar before we ever share good news. But when you use your favorite laundry detergent and it gets stains out of your clothes like none you've ever used before and you go tell people about it, do you say, I cannot tell people about this until I become a chemist? Now, once I become a chemist and know all the chemicals, you don't even say to yourself, I'm going to go read the ingredients of what's on the thing. All you know is I tried it, and it worked. And so now I go tell people about it. Well, this person would say to this guy, his name was Rick, and they'd say, Rick, don't forget. She would yell across the, the yard, don't forget, Rick. The family that prays together stays together. And you would think, well, that's not a presentation of the gospel. But what I know is he would tell us he would lay awake at night and think, I need to serve God. The family that prays together stays together. See how the Holy Spirit took that? 
And he was active in the sharing of that little simple thing. There's, as far as I know, there's no Bible degree that is needed to say the family that prays together stays together. I'm not, I, there's nothing there, but she, would, she said something that God could use and stir a person's heart with. And so I want to encourage us to know that when we do share, we're not getting to that point yet, but when we do share, guess what? God's present to empower what we say and what we do. Now, I want to crush a little saying that is really a great saying when held in balance. I'm really not against the saying when held in balance. It was, uh, it's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, which he did not say. There's evidence, no evidence that he ever said this, but this has been credited to him. And so it's a great little saying, but we're going to crush some of it. He was supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And the thought process there, and I like the thought process, the thought process is that we should live a life in such a way that it reflects Christ. Our, our choices, our, our priorities, how we see the world, all that, we should live in such a way that it reflects Christ. So I get that. I'm totally for that. I believe that. There's another little saying that I heard years ago. It stuck with me. I never forgot it. The saying is this. What you're, it's, it's, I'm sorry. What you're doing is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Hmm. I'm sorry. What you're doing is so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. What's that mean? It means that your lifestyle is not lining up with your words. And so if tomorrow you went to work, to school, to your neighborhood, to wherever you hang out, and you told them you were a believer in Jesus Christ, would they say, huh? Seriously? <laughs> now, now let me get this right. So you're, you're like a Christian? Yes. I would have never thought that in a million years. That's a bad sign. That's a sign that the way you're living is so loud, they're having a hard time hearing what you're saying. But the problem with St. Francis, what he was supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, is that words are necessary. Now, you always want to pick the Bible over even great saints who are attributed, you know, certain sayings. So let's see what the Bible says. In Romans 10, 13 and 14, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone what? Tells them. Now somebody may quote, because I've heard this story, and it probably is true. There was, a, I believe it was Charles Finney, a great revivalist Charles Finney, was on a train. So this, and, you know, some of this stuff could be folklore, but supposedly somebody said, just walked up to him and said something like, you, your life convicts me and wanted to know how to be saved. Okay, well, the only person I've ever heard that, and I don't even know if it's true, was Charles Finney. So I think we need to use some words. Now, I think it would be nice if people said, because there is a scripture that says that people ought to observe our lives and ask us why we have this hope within us. So it is good that we live our lives correctly. But eventually, words have to be said. 
So let's look at John 4, 35. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I, Jesus, say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Jesus is talking about souls. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about eternal life. And he says that the fields are already ripe for harvest. But I also was convicted of, on a, one of his sentences here, but I say, wake up and look around. Wake up and look around. How many times do you and I, and I'm, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody, go through life looking at our shoes? We're not looking up and looking around. Sometimes I'll go through a, a checkout line, and I'll walk away, and I'll think, you know, if somebody asked me to describe the clerk that just checked out all those things, I don't, I don't even know that I could do it. You know, so wake up and look around. The harvest is already ripe. And then Jesus says in Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. There's another good thing we can pray for for our lives. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is what? It's great. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Wow. Jesus gave us a prayer point that we're to pray. He didn't even say, you know, Get off your couch and go out and be a worker. He, he actually said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send more workers into the field. Now, hopefully you and I will be some of those workers, but we can pray. And I do want to encourage you not to believe the negative voices that are everywhere. There are critics, doubters, and naysayers everywhere. There are plenty of good-hearted preachers who will preach and tell you that we live in a post-Christian culture and now that could be true but here's what gets added to it a lot of times nobody wants to hear about Jesus anymore that's a lie nobody cares about church anymore no sense inviting people to church I know Easter's coming up that's a big invite Sunday no need inviting people to church on Easter because nobody wants to come to church nobody wants to know about Jesus we're in a post you know Christian culture we're going to be like like Europe, where the churches are turned into dance halls and apartment complexes and stuff like that. And I say, no, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. That's a lie. So I want to encourage you, don't listen to that. Because the devil will convince you that you might as well just sit on the couch and binge watch TV and scroll through social media because nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Nobody wants to know about Jesus. Well, it's just not true. And every time the devil thinks that he's got a culture. Have you guys seen the, the um, uh, current Christian movie? I want to say, what, what was the word? Revolution? The Jesus Revolution? Okay. Anybody seen it? Raise your hand up high. That culture was crazy. That was the hippie, anti-society, uh, free love, orgy, drugs, you know, everything culture, and all of us older, you know, Christians are saying, God's forsaken America. 
God, this younger generation, nothing can happen, nothing good's going to happen. Guess what? It ain't over till God says it's over. God has the last word. And he raises up the Jesus people, and there's this incredible move of God among the young people. That's why I don't listen for a second when people say, well, this younger generation, Generation X and Generation Z and Generation... I don't even... I lose track of all the generations. They don't love God. I say, that's funny because you can go down to Atlanta uh, to that... We, we play a, a, one of the songs that they do in that stadium and there's 60,000 young people worshiping Jesus vibrantly, explosively loving Jesus. Don't believe it. It's a lie. See, the devil is a liar and he's the father of lies. One, one translation says this, when he lies, he's speaking his native tongue. That's what he does. And so don't get discouraged thinking no one wants to know about Jesus, no one cares about the church, no one cares about eternity. Yes, they do. In fact, if you even pay attention to some of the world's statistics, this culture is extremely spiritual. Extremely spiritual. It's our job to point them to the right spirit to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus. You know, we say, well, I don't know what's going on in the world. Well, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I know what should be going on in the church. We should be pointing people to Jesus because there's a spiritual drawing in people's hearts. There always will be because God has written eternity in the hearts of men. That's what God says. And so there's something in the heart. That's why you can go to all over the world. I, don't, I read this sociological study one time. Every people group that they had found at the time worshiped something. Worshiped something. Isn't that interesting? There's something inbred in us that wants to worship, that's drawn to worship. So don't believe the devil. Don't believe his lies. Don't fall for his tricks. I can tell you that when I was a young kid, there were three boxing greats in the world. There was Muhammad Ali, Smokin' Joe Frazier, and George Foreman. Do we have that? We've got a couple of them, I think. Now, this is, um, George is the only one still alive. By the way, George loves Jesus. He's a passionate lover of Jesus. Always appreciated his simplicity. I think he named every one of his sons George. I think that's true. They're smoking Joe, giving Ali a, a good, they, they said his left hook would, would uh, knock out a, an elephant, is what they said. And it's really interesting reading about these guys and seeing the fights. But what I, why I bring this up, is Frazier and Ali had three incredible matches. And in one of them, um, Frazier had hurt Ali really bad. And it stunned him. And at that moment, Ali, he tells after the fight Ali does, at that moment, he was incredibly vulnerable and he could have been beaten. But Ali had something else. He had this incredible insane ability to recuperate fast and so you could clock him one and he could shake it off in a few seconds uh, if he just had enough time now if you charged in at that moment it might be too late well Ali also if anybody knows anything about Muhammad Ali uh, people heard about Muhammad Ali I know I'm getting older so people may say I don't know who you're talking about but Muhammad Ali had a mouth on him he was a talker and so when he was about when he was vulnerable he looked at Smokin' Joe, and he said something. I don't remember exactly what he said, but something like this. Is that all you got? You know, I picture him saying, my mama can hit harder than that. You know, those kind of things. This ain't nothing. I could take that all day. You know, and, he, and uh, Frazier said that he was about to go in 
to finish the fight, but that stopped him. He thought, okay, and he just hesitated just long enough for Ollie to regain his composure, and he ended up coming back and winning the fight. I want you to know this. The devil's a liar. He will tell you all kinds of stuff. He'll say, that's all you got? And what you tell him is, no, I got a whole lot more than that. That ain't all I got. I got a whole lot more. But I got some good news, because all human illustrations fall apart. Ali had more in his tank. The devil doesn't. The devil's defeated. He's not going to be able to shake it off. He was dealt a defeat by Jesus that the Bible says Jesus made an open mockery of him, a show of him, a shame of him, that he triumphed over him by the cross. And he ain't getting back up. He's not going to say, well, just give me a a month or give me a millennia and I'll shake it off and I'll come back and get victory. No, he's not going to shake it off. He's not going to come back and get the victory. He's already defeated. And so as we approach evangelism, as we approach sharing our faith, as we think about those things, I want you to know he's defeated. The devil's done. Jesus is the victor. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now I'm going to give you a little identity of us. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Jesus has triumphed over everything. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He has been raised up far above. Listen to this. He's been raised up far above all rulers, all powers, all dominion. Anything in this life or the life to come, he's raised up above it. Then the next chapter says, and we have been raised up with Christ. Yeah. Seated with him in the heavenly realms. Now again, you don't have to get a Bible degree to understand this. You say, okay, well, if I'm seated where Jesus is, then let's me back up a chapter and find out where Jesus is seated. So you go back to Ephesians 1. Oh, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, all power, all authority, all dominion, in this life and the life to come. That's where I'm seated. And so now I have to ask myself, do I think the devil could have victory over Jesus? And I say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So now I have to ask myself, then could the devil have victory over me? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. This is not some crazy teaching I just made up. Just read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. This is what the Bible teaches. See, I think we'd be more effective if we just were crazy enough to believe this is true this is true that what what he said is true i've been raised up now the devil doesn't want you to know that i always also think of the devil if you've ever seen the wizard of oz the big bad wizard all the smoke and lights and mirrors and fire and finally the little toto pulls back the curtain and do you remember there's a little guy back there and he's doing all this stuff and he gets real nervous. He goes, uh, uh, pay, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> uh, that, that's what the devil wants to say. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain because the man behind the curtain is a defeated foe and we are more than conquerors in him. The devil's not going to recuperate. So, don't listen to his yip-yap. Don't listen to his lies. I mean, he'll whisper to me and you, because I'm not, I'm not, like I said, a natural extroverted, you know, evangelist. So he'll whisper, well, you know, this really isn't for you, or, or you couldn't do it, or, or somebody could probably do it, but not you. And, and well, that person, here, here's another one I love. 
that person's way far too gone to know Christ. But you know how many people are preaching the gospel around the world that they said that of them, they're way far too gone to know Jesus. And it, I don't know if it's almost like Jesus says, well, we'll show them. Well, we'll show them because they come to know him. So let's look at what Jesus says again quickly. Not what the world says, not what the culture says, not what the naysayers say, not what the devil says. What does Jesus say? We've already read it, but let's look at it again. We have a word from Jesus. Remember last week we looked and we saw, hey, when, when Jesus gave a word, you could take it to the bank. It was a done deal. I remember my beloved brother and our friend Larry Schreier. Uh, Larry said something one time to me, and I said, is that true? And he said, brother, let me tell you something. If I say a rooster can pull a freight train, you, you harness it up. And uh, I said, there you go. I mean, and that's why I think about the word of God. If God says that rooster can pull a freight train, we'll put a harness on it because it can do it. And so when we have a word from the Lord, we have a word from the Lord. This is the word from the Lord, from Jesus. John 4, 35, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is great. The Lord's harvest is ours for the taking. But remember I said, would you be interested in participating in the sacrament of evangelism? Being a bringer of good news, if it didn't make you feel uncomfortable, if you didn't have to be an extroverted public speaker with a Bible degree, and that's what we started off at, and I think most of us said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. And you said, yeah, but then you got into all this telling people about Jesus and talking about Jesus and started getting nervous. Well, well, let's just pause for a second because we're going to say, where are we going to begin? In the evangelism journey, where are we going to begin? And here's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with prayer. Prayer. Everyone in this room can pray. Shouldn't make you feel nervous. Shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable. We're praying. And so we got three prayer points in the word. There's more than that, but three that are perfect for this. The first one is pray for the Lord to send out workers into his field. Pray for the Lord to send out workers in his field. It's interesting. Jesus didn't even say, pray that God will convince you to be his worker. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out workers into the field. Now, I would say, Go ahead and be bold and say, and Lord, if you want that to be me, uh, okay, uh, yes. Here's the second thing. Pray for ourselves that we have courage to speak. Now, I want to make this clear. When God grants you courage, you're not uncomfortable anymore. When God grants you courage, you're not uncomfortable anymore. I have a, a reference up there. It's, we're not going to turn to it, but Acts 4.29 Peter and John have just gotten in big trouble by the religious leaders. And the Bible says this, you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 4, that after many threats, they sent them packing. And so they go back to their buddies, the, the small group of believers that are following Jesus at that time. And now think about this, because I want you to realize they're real people just like you and me. They just got threatened with many threats. Do you think that affected them? Sure it did. But you know what it did? Caused them to pray. You know what they prayed? If you, you can read it for yourself. It said, Lord, you have heard their threats. In other words, these threats are bugging us. They're making us timid. They're making us scared. They're making us afraid. But Lord, you have heard their threats. Now, Lord, grant us courage. Grant us boldness. 
that we might proclaim your word. And the Bible says that the place where they were gathered was shaken. Now, two chapters earlier, there's outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the place was shaken. You know, two chapters later, the place is shaken again. And if you read on, it says, And they went out with great courage and boldness and proclaimed the word of the Lord. Hmm. So let's pray for ourselves. Lord, give us courage. Give us boldness. Now, I do want to say this. Courage and boldness isn't help us be rude and obnoxious and pushy and, and be jerks. That's not... A lot of people think that's what courage is, but it's just you, courageous people and bold people can very gently and lovingly share the gospel with somebody. That's courage and boldness. That's courage and boldness. So, the third one. Pray for those who are not believers. Who in your circle of influence is not a believer? Somebody in your family, maybe, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in, in your social circles. Who is not a believer? Begin to pray for them. Because I can tell you what the scripture says. It's up there, Second Corinthians. You can look all these up later, 4, 3, and 4. The Bible says, if the gospel be veiled or hidden, it be veiled and hidden to those who are perishing. For the God of this world, that's the devil, for the God of this world has blinded their eyes, blinded their minds, one translation says, so they cannot see the glorious gospel they cannot see the light of the glory of God and be saved. So we want to break that off of them. And by the way, we're more than conquerors in Christ. We got a left hook that can knock out an elephant. And so we're going to pray. That's our left hook, a pray. We're going to pray that, hey, you don't have the right to do this, devil. I'm praying for so-and-so. And I know their eyes are blinded right now. I know there's a veil over their eyes, but I pray in Jesus' name that veil and will be lifted. The scales will fall off their eyes, and they'll be able to see. They'll be able to see the light of the glorious gospel of God. And you begin to pray for them. So we can all pray. So there's our assignment, pray, this week. All three of those prayer points are very important. Every single one of you can do it. There's... It doesn't take courage. It doesn't take a Bible degree. You may have just given your heart to Jesus doing the worship set. You can still do this as a brand new believer. You can pray. Don't skip any of those prayer points. I really want you, though, to find who are the people in my circle of influence that do not know Jesus? Do I have enough compassion to pray for them? And maybe that's a prayer for us. Lord, give us more compassion. I, I won't speak for you. I've lacked compassion in many situations in my life. It, it's... It happens. So we can pray, Lord, give us more compassion. Give us more compassion. I was challenged by a question one day. The question was this. If God answered every prayer you prayed last week, if God answered every single prayer 100% that you prayed last week, would there be one new Christian in the world? I remember when I read that, I thought, ah, that's pretty sad. That my prayers have been empty of praying for the lost. That should not be. Our prayers should not be empty of praying for the lost. There's somebody in your, maybe one person, maybe ten people, I don't know. I didn't even ask the Holy Spirit, who's my prayer assignment? Because you may think, i got a thousand people around me I can pray for. Okay, God, who do you want me to hone in on 
who you want me to pray for? And they begin to pray. And this week, I challenge all of us not to forget what we talked about today, not to come back next week and go, oh, what was it we were supposed to do? Just jot it down, write it down, use your smart device and take a picture of the screen, do whatever you need to do to make sure you begin to put this into practice. And next week, we're going to talk about something that's rarely talked about, and it's called the work of prayer. The work of prayer. There's a certain work and energy that goes into praying, which is okay. It's not a work that earns something. It's not that, but it's a work of prayer where God enables us, and we put ourselves out there and say, you know what? I'm going to do the work of prayer, and we'll talk about that next week. So, so let's pray together.